Hey, welcome. This is Angela Valencia Romeo. This is Colliding Worlds, and we're here again with another interview. I do have another author coming on, and he's got an interesting story to go with it. And, in, you know, full disclosure, we're related. This is my nephew. And so I'm just in the, you know, got to lay it all out there. You know, we just have to bring it. I'm going to bring to the stage right now my nephew, Joseph Michael, and he's done quite a lot in a short time on this earth and joseph welcome um i know all about you <laughs> i remember when you were going to ride your bike to my house in california from new hampshire but not everybody does so tell us about who you are and and how you got to where you are right now first first and foremost i just want to say thank you for having me on i really do appreciate it um like you said you're my aunt well, no, I'm not. Remember that. I'm not your aunt. <laughs> mother. That's what I always called you. And yeah, so to kind of go over me, like you said, I haven't been on this earth very long, 26 years young. I am a current PhD student at the University of Miami studying the intersection of artificial intelligence and drug discovery. But prior to this, I grew up in New Hampshire until I was about eight years old. I moved from New Hampshire to Orlando, Disney World. No snow, incredible place. Highly recommend to everyone. And then I was in Orlando for about 17 years. I went to high school there. I was a Haggerty Husky. Go, go Huskies. And then... I went to a liberal arts college in Winter Park, Florida, Rollins College, studied chemistry, fell in love with it. And then I did a master's at UCF studying neuroscience. So my background is very heavily in science, but I've always been a fan of reading books ever since I was very, very young. And so that's sort of what drew me to wanting to write books. And so that intrigue and desire to read and write is what's led me to the journey where I am now. Currently, I am the executive director of a brand new nonprofit called Mindful Diabetes Incorporated. Our mission is to fund research that focuses at the intersection of type two and type three diabetes. Some of you guys might have never heard that phrase used before, type 3 diabetes. It's one of those terms that's for someone on the outside of science looking in, seems kind of foreign, but it's something that was first coined in 2005 when researchers were trying to figure out insulin signaling in the brain. And they realized that just like in type 2 diabetes, where you have insulin signaling dysfunction, the same sort of mechanisms happen in the brain. And so if you have a brain cell where it needs a lot of oxygen in order to function, and you're not able to give it the oxygen and the sugars that are necessary for the regular function, then that cell is unfortunately going to die. And so with insulin signaling in the brain when you're not when your cells don't function properly and they start to atrophy and die you start to lose these sorts of mechanisms 
I like to sort of talk about it as a, it's sort of when you're first starting out and you have these symptoms and it's like, I can't remember where my keys are and I can't remember what I had for breakfast. It's these little tiny changes when we're in our late fifties, early sixties that we sort of neglect. And those are the first signs of what I like to consider a snowball cascade. That snowball cascade can be prevented if we can stop it early enough. And that's what my nonprofit wants to focus on. It's that intersection of type 2 diabetes where you sort of have those initial, I can't find my key sort of moments, but you haven't developed into what the literature, the science community considers mild cognitive impairment. And so that's the realm of my nonprofit. But with every nonprofit, starting out is part of the issue. And so I took my passion for writing and I put it into something intriguing. My first novel that I am publishing alongside the JSM Cooperative is about this, this story. It's the main character, his name is Pepe Miguel. For those of you guys that don't speak Spanish, that translate to, translates to Joseph Michael. So you can imagine where I got the name from. I'm very original. The story itself actually takes place in this beautiful city called A Coruña. It's located in the autonomous region of Galicia in Spain. So if you can sort of picture Spain on a map, it's not Barcelona, it's the other side, northwest corner, and it's beautiful there. I had the privilege of spending a few weeks there in May where I drew inspiration for the story. And then I got to spend two months from September to November sort of hashing out details, researching, and crafting what ends up being this final product for you guys. And so, yeah. So, so it begins, but you know, you have to start somewhere. And it's, it's an interesting path because what I find with people who are creatives, and we come from a family of creatives, I have to say, have to say um, my mom, when she was younger, was very much involved in the arts, which used to annoy me to no end because I would have to come home and draw, paint all the faces for her because she couldn't do it. Um, I'm, I myself am an artist. Or I'm a writer. I, you know, screenplays, whatever. But it's so there's the artistic side of that comes from the family. There's also an academic side that you know we were both blessed with, and we both have taken very weird. <laughs> <laughs> to get where we are, much of the dismay of some people. Um, but but you know, you have to start somewhere. And you know, you, you pick that you pick something where that condition affects a lot of people. And most families are not gonna be scared, you know, go away with it. Somebody's gonna be touched by that type of um cognitive disability. And it's a very painful thing to watch when it progresses it's also a frustrating thing if you're that person who's suddenly forgetting where your keys are but also the toll it takes on everybody around you because there's nothing you can do 
when a person you care about is going through this and it's a change where they don't recognize you anymore they can't take care of themselves anymore it's it impacts on a lot of different levels they they talk about research and but we don't seem to be moving as quickly as we, I mean, we, we move quickly on some things and we seem to drag our feet in the others. Why do you think that this particular research has not progressed as, as quickly as, you know, vaccines and whatnot for other, other conditions that we face? Part of the issue with vaccines and that sort of progression, and it's not a problem for vaccines, is that you have a very specific target. So in the case of vaccines, for a virus, for example, you take a specific protein that's going to be found only on that specific virus and you sort of train your body to say, hey, if you see this, know it's foreign, but instead of seeing it for the first time on the actual virus, we're going to give you some of that viral mRNA in the case of the COVID vaccine or in the case of other vaccines, they expose you to the actual antibodies or antigens, I guess, so that your body can make the antibodies against them. So you're already prepped if you do see them in the future. But with Alzheimer's disease, there's so many underlying causes that at the end of the day, it's very tough to sort of pick one specific target and say, hey, let's sort of pharmacologically intervene like right now without getting too technical a lot of our current alzheimer's therapies the best that they can do is sort of mitigate symptoms like you have your rivistamine donepezils these drugs are really good at giving you another six to twelve months of quality time. They sort of slow the progression. And there's a ver variety of ways that they do this. But what they don't do is they don't actually stop the progression, because they sort of act as like the snow plows on the mountain, that as the avalanche is coming, they sort of hold it up for as long as they can. But the avalanche is going to crash down. The best sort of course of action is really to have the snow plows as high up the mountain as possible to catch the snowball when it's potentially still a snowflake so that's why like a lot of what i sort of talk about for mindful diabetes over at the blog that we have is holistic approaches small lifestyle changes that can add up over a long amount of time my family hates Black Friday shopping with me because I drive and I park the car in what I call Narnia. There could oh, yeah. be a space right next, <laughs> right next. And I'm going to park all the way in the corner. And it's because, especially now that I'm back in the States and I don't just have to walk everywhere, it forces me to get those extra... 200 300 steps in that i wouldn't have got otherwise and i'm going to interrupt and say this child does not do black friday 
she waves at them. My shopping's done in August because I'm not doing that. But but that's the truth is being active is a big thing. Um, I had a in, in one of my many incarnations, I'm, I'm a certified personal trainer and I was certified in biomechanics. And I worked a lot with people who were older. And I use that term loosely because somebody at 40 can be old. They just have refused to do things. Um, I, well, you know, I'm 65. I work out, you ride a bike 20 miles a few times a week. I work out a couple hours, whatever. I lift weights, do small things. Being active does help not stop but slow the progression because you, you're you're pumping blood through your system and you're bringing in oxygen i'm a big pilates person because pilates talks about breathing and bringing sucking all that clean air and pushing it out but just getting something going getting a circulation the other thing and you mentioned it reading um i i think people people don't read enough i think part part of keeping active is not just physical but it's also this mental aspect of your know, reading. I mean, I'm not, Sudoku is not my thing. I can't stand it. But crossword puzzles, reading, any of that stuff is good. Um, and I, 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 miss, I miss people going to the library. I miss people getting books. I miss people reading because there's so many things you can learn from. And I live my life in the footnotes. Give me a footnote and I'm a happy camper. But you're, and to your point, it's, it, there's a lot of little lifestyle changes. And I, you know, always the obvious ones like eating properly. And I love Twinkies. I ain't giving them up for nobody. Um, but, you, but you have to learn that there's a, a fine line and there's moderation to it. Um, your generation, and I hate to say it, but your generation grew up with computer games. And I know I had two kids and it was like, go outside. See that thing in the sky? Go, you know go um, and we we're kind of sedentary and the other issue and i want to bring this up before we hit to your book we live in a world now where ai artificial intelligence is taking over more and more of our world um, and as somebody who's advocating small life changes you're going to be faced with an ai world um, i mean we've got alexa to turn on the lights to turn on the tv to do whatever we want um, when I was a little kid, your grandfather would say, you go turn the station. You know, you got up and you changed the TV because dad wanted to watch something else. And you sat there and you, you know, went with it. But you've got an AI world coming. So people are becoming more sedentary and less active. How do you how do you view that? Was in terms, especially in terms of what you're talking about within your research, if you have every drug in the world, but I'm still not doing basics. You know, you're going to, how do you face AI there? So as someone, like you mentioned, I do work with AI and I'm not going to lie. I'm a very big advocate for it. Um, one thing I wasn't going to mention on here, but since you sort of mentioned smart homes in that realm, all of my house, I passed smart home and went right to intelligent. My house is super intelligent. In fact, it's so intelligent that I can open and close doors with my voice. I have a patent for that. I'm developing something down the road for that as well. And so off camera, I can open and close doors and I can show you that anytime you want. So I'm a big advocate for it for a few different reasons. One, when I had the privilege of going to a conference in Barcelona, 
this past September. One person that I met with was actually a researcher from, I want to say the Netherlands. Incredible person. What they were working on was this concept of a smart home as a caregiver for someone with dementia. So part of one of the issues with dementia is the moment you take someone out of their environment, they rapidly decline. Their decline goes from being a very linear decline to suddenly it's steep. Mm -hmm. And part of that comes with the unfamiliarity. You had mentioned exercise. And so exercise, one thing that it promotes is this thing called neurogenesis, which is just a fancy word for new formation of brain cells. And specifically, this new formation happens in a region called the hippocampus. It's one of the only regions of your brain that can regenerate new cells and make new cells. It's also the first region of your brain that atrophies in Alzheimer's disease. It's why they lose their ability to form new memories and why they can remember stuff from 40, 50 years in the past, but they can't remember that they just finished a cup of coffee five minutes ago. Their ability to form new memories is gone. And so with oxygenating your brain, you're promoting neurogenesis. So the more oxygen you can get to your brain, the better chance you sort of have of creating that neurogenesis. And so what this group does is they take your home and they revamp it. They sort of train your home on a model of you. So the idea is it would go into your house before you get dementia or cognitive decline, and it would learn your behaviors. It would learn that at 7 a.m. you wake up so the blinds would automatically open. You would have lights come on. And then the part that I thought was the coolest was that on the ground, they would have this touch-sensitive motion-activated, artificially intelligent-led floor. So that way, kind of like how at an airport, you have the lights that guide the plane down, you get this light that guides you through your morning routine. So if in the first thing in the morning, you go brush your teeth, the lights would take you right to the bathroom. Then they would take you downstairs and there would be some signal for you to have breakfast. So they were actually researching at the time the best images to use Mm -hmm. to get the breakfast response, whether it's a sandwich, a bagel, a the specific animation of the image. So they were looking at all of the different variables that go into this. But at the end of the day, it's all about data. And so the more data you can accumulate, the more accurate your model can become and the better it has or the better chance it sort of has of learning your true abilities and helping you stay the course. Because what their goal is, is they don't want to have to move people out of their house. Because like I said, that decline is very rapid. So in that aspect, artificial intelligence is incredible because it can give these people the ability to not have to go into an 
assisted living facility when their house can assist for them. It, it, AI is, it can do remarkable things. I know I'm, I'm, I think we're here to stay with it. I worry about AI taking over functions of a younger person, you know, where you're fully able to walk or do something, but you rely on AI. But I, I had a friend whose husband was so into all this. And basically every time she opened the cabinet and took something out, it would like somehow note it, note it. And it would tell her, you don't have enough to make this recipe. And she hated the house and eventually divorced them because she couldn't stand it. But you, you get used to it. You gather more information, artificial intelligence, grows i think logarithmically it, it's the leaps and bounds that we're making are are not little baby steps they get bigger and bigger and bigger and to have a house with the ability to take care of somebody the the, the cars that drive themselves in my world i think what freedom it gives to somebody who's blind or or you know immobile for some particular reason there's there's a downside to everything there's an upside the upside to your point people with dementia and whatnot it's the it's the familiarity that keeps them grounded a lot of the time and when you take that away from them it's it strikes fear and now you're dealing with a frightened and and trust me a tiny little person in fear is going to take you down i don't care how big you are and that's that's a downside for a caregiver as well yep in that regard i think it's great in my my problem is is i do believe that like you're saying these small changes that we make in our life every day the way we eat i park far away too i don't mind walking john gets mad at me because you know you might meet somebody on the road and i'm like I'm a Sicilian. Do you not know what we're capable of? I mean, really, but you, you, you have to, you have to do some steps on your own. You can't rely totally on, um, we don't live in the matrix. We're not going to be hooked yeah, up yeah. and running the machine. No. And, you know, I don't think Terminator's coming yet, but I don't know. But even George Jetson walked a little bit. Come on, you know, yeah. you've got to make these small changes. Um, I think what you're doing is admirable and not because you're my nephew because i don't have to say that to you um <laughs> but i mean it's we have technology that we can use to make our lives better we have technology we can use to make our lives worse and it's finding that mix um there we can we there's so many different rabbit holes to go down but you chose something positive to do and you took your I mean, you could have played baseball when you were a little kid. You won, you know, it was like baseball, sports, that. I mean, the funniest one was when he has a brother, Nikki, when Nikki wanted to play football. Nikki probably weighed 40 pounds soaking wet, but you're, you know, and dad went out and bought him all this gear that weighed more than he did. That was the end of football for Nick. You, you could have chosen another path. You had a lot of options in front of you. And you chose this one. You chose you chose chemistry. You chose science, and and I still think it's in our DNA. <laughs> and you chose an artistic, um, you know, path as well. And you're melding the two together. You, the the idea of a nonprofit to help fund the research is a great one. And I'm going to put this back up again, so people can can see. You know, you can scan this and learn more information. But you wrote the book. This is not your first book, but this is one that you've, you're most passionate about right now because tomorrow you'll have another book and you'll be more passionate about that one. That's that's the way of an author, and I'm telling you, that's how it goes. Um. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I, I well, I, 
I completely love this book and it will always be my baby, but I always have my eye towards the future. And you're right. I am always working on the next one. So I already have the next one in the works. I have two more that are in the manuscript editing stage. So it's, it's fun. I love writing. And as a cooperative, we don't want to be boxed into one genre. So we want to be able to publish into multiple genres because we under we understand some fans will like a thriller. Some fans will like a little bit of romance. I'm a personal, personally a huge fan of fantasy. So if I could find a 25th hour in the day for enough days of the week, I would love to just carve out an entire world because my mind just is so creative and I have so many ideas and I would just love to share them with the world. It's just a matter of, I have 168 hours in a week and. Well, I, you I, know, I get it. Stay awake at night. You sit there and you try to sleep and your brain's going, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And, um, my jewelry line that I had, I would be sitting there and someone would say to me, well, do you sketch it out beforehand? I'm like, sure. No, I don't, because I don't know. It will tell me what it wants to be as I'm doing it. And and that's the thing. It's sometimes these things just sort of evolve. And when you have an idea for a story or a book or whatever, it starts to take on a life of its own. And the characters start to take on their own life, too. Um, your characters, even if they were good, bad, and different, their their ultimate goal is to be helpful and you know work with you and help you with your research in the nonprofit. But these characters, they can take over your world. And in this one, the man in the ball cap, you have this character. He's going off on doing whatever he's going to do. And I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you to read a little bit from your book. Give us a flavor of, you know, how you write, what your style is, um, where this book is going. And then we can talk a little bit more about the whole process of what it's like to write a book. Yeah, I wouldn't be more than happy. Um, I'm just going to pretty much jump right into the middle of a chapter. The idea of sharing you guys something, no context at all, excites me. So here we go. <clears throat> His childhood was deeply intertwined with religion, an unyielding faith ingrained in him by his devout parents. But that faith was savagely ripped away from him the day a psychopath invaded the sanctity of their home, turning it into a house of horrors. That horrific ordeal shattered his belief in a loving God as he was forced to bear witness to his parents' agonizing torture over three merciless days. The grim theater reached its climax when the madman forced his parents into a perverse game of choice. Choose, he snarled brandishing the knife between them, the glint of madness unmistakable in his eyes. One of you can walk out of here. The other won't be so lucky. Tears streamed down his mother's face, her eyes wide with terror. Yet she remained silent, her love for her husband evident. But his father, trembling and eyes darting, pleaded, please let me live. Spare me. Take her, but let me live. For a moment, there was a silence so profound, it seemed the world itself had held its breath. Then, with a maniacal laugh, the madman lunged forward, 
driving the knife into the wife's heart. As she crumpled to the ground, he turned to the horrified man. You think your plea has saved you? Without waiting for a response, he ruthlessly ended the father's life as well. Then slowly, with deliberate menace, he turned to the terrified child. Remember this, he whispered, his voice dripping with malice, leaning close so that his face was mere inches from the child's terrified eyes. Life is a cruel game, and the watchers laugh at our suffering. But I'll give you a choice. With a wicked grin, the man drew a knife from his belt, slicing through the child's bindings. He pressed the handle into the child's trembling hands. You want revenge? Take it. The child stared at the knife and then at the man, torn between fear and the burning desire to make him pay. It was an unimaginable decision to place on such young shoulders, but in that room filled with death and despair, the lines between right and wrong had blurred. In a surge of rage and desperation, the child lunged, driving the knife into the man. As the light in the man's eyes faded, a brief flash of perverse satisfaction appeared, hinting at his success in coaxing the child into such violence. From that devastating moment, a malevolent force emerged within the child. That very force compelled him, driving him to mimic the heinous acts he had been subjected to in a twisted pursuit of satisfaction. This sinister act forever altered his path, providing him a high he would relentlessly chase the rest of his life. Okay, so that's a fairy tale you read your kids, right? <laughs> I mean, if you... Yeah, no, I definitely would not read that to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're grasping at, you're pulling at a lot of strings there with that book. I mean, you, you're bringing in, you know, a Sophie's Choice type of attitude. It's, you know, pick, pick one of you, pick, pick the other one, leave the child. But, and now you've, now you've set, you've set in motion something. Um, it's one event that will take you onward. Um, when you were writing the book, what what drew you to that storyline? So one of the things that I do a lot of is I do a lot of, I watch, well, I don't watch YouTube because I don't have time, but I like to, when I walk my dog, for example, I'll put on a YouTube video, put it in my pocket and just listen to it. And so one of the, one of the channels that I like to follow sort of talks about gruesome stuff that's real world has really happened and i draw inspiration mostly from real world events now i don't remember exactly what event happened that i drew that exact inspiration from but 100 percent like I remember learning about a choice and then there really isn't a choice in the end, but when you're creating a character as evil and as terrible as the man in the ball cap, you can't just say he was this evil person because truthfully, no one's born evil. There's people out there that might argue with me on that, but 
no one is necessarily born evil. It's events that happen to them that shape them. And so when I was creating this character, for the stuff that happens throughout the book, I couldn't just, I don't know, say he stubbed his toe and that made him upset and he was just angry at the world for the rest of his life because that doesn't rationally, I mean, it's my world. I can say that happens and then it happens, but that's not good enough to justify what happens throughout the rest of the story. You sort of have to set it up as he was scarred from a time when he was young. It's like Dexter really where Dexter was scarred when he was a child and his trauma turned into what became the rest of him. And so it's that same idea where your traumas sort of shape who you are down the road. And yeah, for my character, he suffered a pretty big trauma, which you just heard. And he took it out on the rest of the world. A good character always has some basis in reality. A good story always has a basis in reality. And frankly, the truth is far more unimaginable than any fiction could be sometimes. It's amazing when you start to realize what people can do or be good, bad, or indifferent. And you are. There are certain things that happen in someone's life that trigger them. Our, our, uh, my tagline has always been, we're all born artists. And what we do that shapes our world. You start out as a blank slate, a blank canvas, and you add to it. Um, you look at you, know, but it, a good, a good story, a good book, a, a good movie, a good even a good painting has some basis in reality. Even fantasy has to have its foot in it, or yeah. else it just doesn't ring true. Um, you have to, you have to do that when, when you're writing. I think and you're writing a book, you have to think about the beginning, a middle, and an end. You you can't you can write a series of books. I mean, for kind of a lot of the Wizard of Oz is 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 part of a book, is part of a series of 14 books. It's not just the Wizard of Oz, you know, there's like a whole bunch of them. Um, and you can keep writing this world forever and ever. But when you start, it has to have a beginning and it has to have a middle and it has to have an end. Did you start knowing the end? Or did you let the beginning lead you to the middle and kind of take you to the end, a natural end? So for this specific book, I knew the ending before because for the first book I wrote, I didn't have the ending. And it's sort of, I it was, I eventually did get to the end, but it was just, it started going and going because I just didn't want the story to end. So with this one, I didn't want to have that same run on. So I kept in mind a word count. So I wanted to keep the word count under 40,000. And so I knew that was my ceiling. And for this, I sort of actually worked backwards. Like I had the ending. I sort of wrote that first. So that way I could work backwards and drop the breadcrumbs in. And then I came back and polished it. Once I had the first draft that I had started back to forward, then I went back and forward to forward to back. Because then at that point, if I mention something here, but don't mention it at the beginning, it's like retcon. 
<laughs> oh, I got to tell you, and, and that's the thing about when you write and you and your characters start to take on a life and you've got to keep track of what they did. You may have created them, but sometimes you forget. And um, I'm working on a television series now and, and I have to go back and look at it just to make sure nobody wants to be surprised. Yeah. They don't want to be spoon fed, but they don't want to be, you know, led down a path and then suddenly you go the other way um, one of my favorite movies is the usual suspects and why i like that movie is the ending is told to you in the very first scene the very first scene you see kevin spacey holding the cigarette like an eastern european that was the very first scene and so it gave you the ending you just had to be you know aware enough to put the clues together and everything was right in front of you and so if you were surprised, it was because you, you missed the clues. If yep. you got the clues, you were like, yeah, okay, cool. Like no one, no one took me, you know, no one went when they should have. It's very difficult. I think when you, in, in a book, like anything else you write, there's, you have to be conscious of the word count, the pages. Um, you've got to really be conscious of creating a character quickly with a movie. You have the visual. Um, I don't have to say, you know, give you every little detail about my character. Um, I don't have to describe the color of the shirt. I don't have to describe, you know, you know, the smell of his breath. I don't have to do any of those things. But with a book, you don't have that luxury of the visual. You have to create the visual. Was that, was that a challenge when you first started or did it sort of flow naturally? So one of the things that I did when I was writing was I went back and I actually read some of my favorite books and saw how these characters sort of were evolved. So like I'm a big fan of Stephen King. I'm a big fan of John Grisham, a huge fan of Game of Thrones. Each of those authors creates their characters differently. And so I didn't want to just copy how they did it but at the same time if a formula works don't reinvent the wheel so with this i would create a character but i would sort of leave it into the mind of the reader as well because i'm not going to sit there and give you every detail like george rr R. martin because i don't necessarily need to know that there's a bird in the apple tree three doors down next to the blue house. Like those levels of details aren't necessary. But at the same time, if I'm going to incorporate that bird into my story, I have to drop that breadcrumb along the way. So it's like when I would create the story and create the characters and even the scenes and the settings, I would, it wouldn't be vague, but it wouldn't be broad. It would be a nice somewhere in the middle where it gives you the opportunity as the reader to create a picture in your own head. Like in that scene that I read, I didn't describe anyone's shirts, the clothes they wore, but you could still in your mind sort of picture this family tied up for three days. I didn't want to be that Stephen King-esque where I go in to describe what happens for three days because I want you as the reader to picture for three days this family was. This is, this is where it comes to um, 
reading and using your imagination. And, and again, it goes back to your research. I've got to think about this. I've got to conjure up these own images myself. I've got to create this world. Um, one of the things I used to hate about like really heavy romance novels is like they drone on and on and on and on about the silky feel of their shirt and mm. whatever, move on. I got it. And I have like, I have no patience. It's like, let me, you know, I can, I can figure this out on my own. Um, and, and sometimes it's like the grandpa Simpson stories. I don't need to know. I need to know a B X, Y, and Z. Do I really need to know LM? Mm, no, I, I can, I can, I can use my knowledge, my life experience and my imagination to fill in those gaps in a natural basis. And, and, a lot of times, especially a beginning author, a, a new author, will drown in minutia. Yeah. And, and then you sit there and you go, okay, that's nice. Where was the editor? <laughs> you know, why, did, why didn't somebody say, uh, no? You know? Yeah. Uh, you know and, and, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to also be your own editor because you 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 are in love with these characters whether they're good or bad or whatever you created them and you have to you have to sort of take your own you know three-day torturous knife and whittle them down to size yeah. i mean did you when you're doing that what goes through your head do you say oh yeah if i save this i can do it here or are you like merciless like okay go move on <laughs> So for me, I guess I'm lucky that I have other people I collaborate with that I can sort of bounce stuff back and forth with. Because like you said, or originally there was more detail in there, but for the purpose of word length, keeping the flow of the story going, and more importantly, like you were saying, how that's like an LMNO, it's in the middle. Like that's not the important part of the overall story like for that specific excerpt right there yes i could have gone into more detail i could have sort of hashed out more stuff but then that doesn't give you the reader the opportunity to use your imagination and i know as someone that loves to read i have an active imagination and so part of what I like to do is I like to create these stories in my head as I'm reading them. I still remember learning how to read and like the whole like, whoa, these words aren't necessarily just words on a page, but now they're concepts in my head. And so you're learning to read is an interesting thing because I always I always think and I still believe my mother, your grandmother, sent my sisters and I to school knowing how to read. We went to kindergarten. We were reading on sixth grade level, and we could cursive write, and we couldn't print, and the teacher was like, you can't do that. It's like, but I am. I'm doing it. So, okay, so that, 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 that's whole disconnect. The thing about reading is it can take you anywhere in this world, in another world. It can take you into the past, the present, or the future. A good word in the right place is it opens up a whole Pandora's box, and you can you can follow that down any path you choose. A good writer will let me do that. 
And as a beginning writer, again, as you know, relatively new writer, you, it, that's a that's a huge responsibility. It's a great skill to have, and you're you're walking that line, and you, you've done it. You know, um, I can. I didn't. I didn't need you to tell me that the mom was, you know, tied to the chair and wearing a blue gingham dress. In my mind, I could. I mean, in my mind, she was wearing, you know, an Aunt B dress. You know, I mean, I. I can. I can fill in these gaps, and I like that. I don't want to be lectured to when I, unless it's a book that I need to read because I have to be lectured. I don't want to pick up a fiction book and be lectured. I want yep. to pick up the book and I want to escape. And, and you said you were you were fortunate that when writing this book, you were part of a cooperative and you had other people to rely on. Talk to me a little bit about this cooperative. I mean, clearly it's it's very important to you. It's very important to the book because I think they're listed as the author. Um, yes. How did this? What is this cooperative and? How did it come about, and is it is it a closed loop sort of thing, or you know, how does this work? It's it's in a sense, yes, it is very very closed loop. Um, what it is is it's a group of people, my friends and I, and we have one goal, one mission. It's to write entertaining stories that span multiple genres, like you had said. You were talking about romance a few seconds ago and mentioning how you don't need to be told like the feel of the skin. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So we actually have a book in that genre that we've worked on and we're polishing off. And yeah, I agree with you. I don't too much details too much. So you have to leave it into the mind of the reader, especially when you're especially when you're writing like uh, like sex scenes you don't want to be gross especially as a guy writing sex scenes so you have to do it in a way where it's more implied what's going on than descriptive and so that's one of my mo's when we work as a team is that we make sure that we are more more or less we don't want to be overly descriptive and so that's why we have the checks and balances that we work together on, like we'll have someone say, we want to write this story. And then we'll have someone say, okay, what characters do we want to include in this story? And from there, we just sort of whiteboard it. I'm a big, big advocate of whiteboards because one, they can span an entire space. At my old house, I actually had painted over an entire wall with whiteboard chalk paint so i could whiteboard my wall i did i trust me in my other house i had one wall that was a was basically a whiteboard and the other one was a chalkboard and we and i we painted them just so i could have that ability to put it up there and see it um when you have somebody when you have a cooperative that you can feed off of and you have people who are uh, working with you and it's interesting because you don't necessarily want everybody who's like-minded it's nice to have it's nice to have that pebble <laughs> to say yeah no um or, or just to just to stimulate or instigate it's 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 a good thing a good feeling when you have a group that you can work with and pull pull off of because sometimes 
I talk with a lot of songwriters and it's like somebody has an idea for a note and two words and someone else has got the rest of it put together. So there's, there's a synergy that comes with that. Um, how important is that to you and how is important, how important is that to you going forward with any future work? Yeah. Synergy is ultimately the biggest key. We don't want to necessarily, we want to pump out quality, not quantity. And so that's the biggest thing. We want to make sure that what we do put out as a team isn't just another another book. We want our to make sure that our books stand out, whether it's because of these this fundraiser, for example, that we're doing, or whether it's because people just genuinely like what we write. Whatever it is, whatever gets someone to say, we want to buy the book. In this case, The Man in the Ball Cap by the JSM Cooperative. We want to buy that book. So whatever the reason is for that purchase, whether it's I'm interested in figuring out what happens with Pepe Miguel and The Man in the Ball Cap, or because you're just interested in knowing that your purchase goes directly towards something greater. And in this case, it is the Mindful Diabetes Incorporated. So just having that knowledge of knowing that it's not just another book going to fund an author, but instead it's a book going to fund a mission. That's the big thing. And so synergy is key to that. It's always staying on the same page. And then more importantly, deadlines. When you're working with multiple people, you have to be able to count on them. You have to be able to say, okay, this week we're going to write five chapters. On Monday, I'm going to write chapter one, give it to you on Tuesday, and I'm going to start writing chapter two on Tuesday. You'll be working on chapter one edits. That way, by the end of the week, each day we've done something productive and we still move forward. Because that's the key is always staying productive. It's not just getting into a comfortable position. We as a team thrive being uncomfortable because in order to get comfortable, especially in situations that are foreign, you have to be uncomfortable first. And so giving ourselves those sharp deadlines forces us to be uncomfortable, even if it is only for a few moments in time until we finish our deadline, we get what we needed to get done. And so that's the biggest thing when you work as a team. It's just making sure that everyone pulls their weight. Now, we're not saying that every piece of the pie is equivalent because some of us, our job is to sort of pump out the body of the book and then someone else's job is to take that that piece of marble and carve it into a beautiful Michelangelo. But you can't carve a piece of marble if you're not given the marble first. And so that's more or less how we work. It, it's good when you can work. I think a collaborative atmosphere is much better than working alone. It's... um. It, it, there's this romantic image of the you know, the artist, you know, just toiling away all by themselves in their lonely studio with their ear right ear cut off and sitting on the table. It's it's not always the best, um, and sometimes 
you have somebody look over it and it, and it brings you back because you know as a writer as a creative person even as a researcher you can start down a path that you're so passionate about that you're blind to the fact that it's really not taking you anywhere um and it's it's consuming resources be they financial emotional or otherwise and so when someone comes along and says wait a minute what about looking at it this way or um sometimes if you're stuck it's nice when someone says they look at it and go oh yeah i mean working as um i had an art gallery and being an artist it was always interesting to me when you created your work and you put it up and you look at it and you're like mm -hmm. and then somebody else comes along and you don't know them and they see something completely different like you did not see that but they're looking at it and giving you a different perspective and you think I'm, I'm just curious now as a writer you saw this book you saw it develop you saw the beginning middle and end and i know that the release date is is um coming soon but you've had people read the book ahead of time did they find something in it that you hadn't seen before and were like kind of had that moment where you go did i really do that <laughs> well it's not so much that they find specific details but it's their interpretation of certain things that have happened in the book where i sort of i don't i don't leave cliffhangers per se i don't leave things open-ended but i do leave things for interpretation so it was just interesting to see how some people interpreted a very specific scene at the end of the book that i don't want to talk about here because I don't want to spoil it, but there is a scene at the end of the book that I did leave sort of open for interpretation where something happens and it's off screen, off scene, but something did happen and it's like, what, what happened? How did it happen? And yeah because you have plans i mean you're this this character is is not going away anytime soon i mean uh, you know there, there could be other possibilities i mean you've this is this is a this is one of a beginning of books it's certainly not the end of your writing journey and it may not be the end of this particular character i mean going forward this this book comes out on the 16th you can pre-order it now um, there are several different places where you can and, and before we move on to the future if I want to pre-order this or purchase this, where do I go other than the scan me? Yeah. So right now you can order it, pre-order it from Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Barnes and Noble. Um, one of the things that I found is starting out, I have to do a lot of things myself. So I'm working on SEO optimization. So you can just Google the man in the ball cap. The problem is, like in 2017, some movie came out called The Man in the Hat. So Google corrects ball cap to hat and says, hey, is this what you want? And it's not what we want. So if you're going to Google it, you have to Google The Man in the Ball Cap, followed by JSM Cooperative. Or you can just Google the JSM Cooperative. That one shows up. I don't know how I managed to get that one to show up so like 
right at the top of Google. I think um, part of it was because when I picked the name with my fellow like team, we intentionally went through a bunch of different variations and said, okay, collaboratives taken. Um, there was a few of them that were already taken. So we said, hmm, cooperative. So that's why we're the JSM co-op, or as my mother says, the JSM coop. <laughs> it's the coop. I can see her saying that. <laughs> so that's those are the places um, on our website. Because I do have friends in Spain, I also have a link to buy it from Amazon España. So you can pre-order it there as well. But yeah, the best the best way to go about getting it is to really go to either the JSM Cooperative's website or even we have a page up on the Mindful Diabetes. You can go there. You can check out the pre-order from there as well. You'll see fun animations because on top of finding time to do everything else, I've learned how to do web design. So it's fun. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, the first website that I did, I did it in HTML. I did it all in the computer language. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, if you just go to reveal code, you can get it all. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I, you know, as I set up my virtual, in my private, you know, virtual network and my HTML, you know, whatever, you know, you, but it's good to know how to do it. Yeah. That's the only thing I can say about it. it it's, it's interesting, though, too. It's like in, in, a lot of this is online and to find things Barnes and Noble, Amazon make it easier, but you're right. If you, you have to have the whole title. Um, and then it's a matter of, if you don't have that remembering who the author is, and in this case, the author is the, is the cooperative. Um, that was a deliberate choice by you. Um, why, why that choice? Why not say Joseph Michael, and, and, and co-authored with or in collaboration with or in cooperate in, in coop with <laughs> you know. because I just like to think of myself as a piece of the pie. I'm no more important than any of my fellow members. I love them all dearly. Without them, this book would never have come to life. They helped motivate me. They helped drive me. And so just because maybe they didn't pen a lot of the first draft, they still played an important role in revisions, revising, getting the final product to the point where it is now. Because without them, you guys would just be looking at a boulder instead of looking at a Michelangelo. And that's the big thing. That's, that really is the big thing for me is it's a team effort and so we win as a team and in this case we we still win as a team because when it comes to writing you don't lose just because someone doesn't like your book that's okay get them in the next genre <laughs> well that's the other thing and not everybody has to like everything and that's perfectly okay an honest dialogue would require people to say i don't like it and and again, I'll go back to when I had a gallery and people would come in. We did a show that was little on the controversial side. In fact, we did several, whatever. So, you know, but the, the point is somebody walking in is like, I'm offended. Well, why are you offended? 
you didn't even give it a shot. You know, if you, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many movies I've sat through or books that I've read that I really didn't like, but I figured I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go all the way to the end because I may have missed something. Um, I may not have seen something. And if I still don't like it, well, at least I tried. I, I, I think liking or not liking is, is, is kind of like that fine line between love and hate. It's basically the same blurry emotion, but did it get you talking? Did, did your, did this book, uh, you know, did this book, The Man in the Ball Cap, stimulate a discussion between people? It doesn't have to be something deep and dark and esoteric, but did it stimulate a dialogue? Did, did, did people communicate in real time? That's great. As a secondary, I buy the book, I'm, I'm doing something good for somebody besides myself. Or ultimately, I may be doing something for myself because, as we all know, this this type of of illness is not. It it doesn't really care if you're you know black white you know doesn't care how you identify what gender you think you are what religion you might be. It, it's it's kind of like a it's it, it's a very fair employer. It just strikes everybody equally. So ultimately, yeah, I, I might be doing something good for the greater good, but a little selfish i'm helping myself you know <laughs> when you yeah. look at this, you, you 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 started off on something really great now this cooperative um the, the proceeds are going to fund this research and in this project what other books what other projects does the cooperative have coming down the pipeline i mean this this is not the the only thing i mean you're not the only one you know it's not the right shoe what, what's going on with the left shoe yeah, so right now we are actually working on this one. This is a very interesting novel because it's being told from my perspective as an American leaving the United States for the first time ever to travel outside. And I was 25 years old the first time I ever saw sand outside of the United States. And so for me, for 25 years, I was always sort of fed how great America is, how much better we are than the rest of the world. And just your typical, I don't want to call it propaganda, but your typical American nationalism, which for my whole life, I really, really thought that we were this incredible, wonderful, the best country on the planet. And then I went and saw Spain for the first time and I realized something. And what I realized is that America is the best when it comes to financial institutions. We're the best at making a dollar turn into two, but we're not the best when it comes to happiness. And what I mean by this is that in America, we have this culture where we work, 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 where we basically end up living to work. And for my entire life, I really thought that was just how the rest of the world was too, because all I knew was America until I went and saw Spain. And I realized that there's more to life than just working over there. They work in order to live. And what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, 
I'm a baker. And this actually, this is a real story that happened to me when I was over there. I'm in love with homemade bread over there. There's something incredible about it. And so every Monday through Saturday, because they don't work Sundays, everything's closed on Sundays there, even the grocery stores. Monday through Saturday, probably three or four times a week, I would go down to this bakery right down the street from me. La Panaria de Vasquez, I want to say. Somewhere beautiful in Monte Alto. And it was open every day from like 6 a.m. until 2. Or so I thought. In reality, that breads, the Panaria, was only open from 6 a.m. until the last loaf of bread was sold. So there was days that the last loaf of bread was sold at 11 p.m. And there's still technically three more hours in the workday. But instead of maximizing those profits and making more bread to make more money, the owner said, oh, I'm sold all my bread at 11. I guess I'm done with work for the day because he had reached his quota. He wasn't trying to maximize profits. He wasn't trying to get more money. In reality, he was just getting enough that he needed so that way he could spend more time with the things and people that matter the most. Over there, they have a family culture where everyone sort of stays together. The thing that really, really blew my mind the most was how many elderly people I saw just walking around and elderly. I'm talking, these people were easily 80 plus 80. I, I talked with people that were in their nineties, nineties and still mobile, getting groceries, going up and down stairs. And for me, I'm like, what do they do differently over here that we don't do in the greatest country on the planet? Because they not only live longer than us, if you get handed them a survey, especially when they're 70 plus years old, you'll find the happiness is just through the roof. And so it's like, that's what our next book is about right there. It's like this, it's called the American lie. And it just centers on this whole idea that as a now 26-year-old, my entire life I was sort of lied to about just how incredible we really were. And it really just boils down to a few things. And I don't want to take away from too much more time, but it boils down to this. We as a society put profits over people, and because of that, we allow companies to sort of dictate our lifestyles. And in the book, I really touch on a few key problems that happened 50, 60 years ago that snowballed into our current epidemic. And it really starts down with high fructose corn syrup and this idea of sugar substitutes. So... Well, it's an interesting thing. And, and you talk about, we talk about food, the Kellogg brothers, 
you know, they were they were doctors, and the Kellogg brothers thought they were doing the world a favor when they introduced basically Special K in cereal. Little did they know they had started a path. The Filene brothers, um, Filene's were the the Filene brothers wanted to give the store to the employees. That deep down inside, they were more socialist and capitalist than employees didn't want it. But having lived abroad myself, it was it was hard to get used to certain things, and one of them was things aren't open on Sunday. Three o'clock, the banks were closed. Um, you know, I where I lived in one of the houses we lived when I lived abroad, there were businesses near us. And I laughed because the signs would say open eh, nine-ish, you know, maybe, maybe not, depends on the day. But five o'clock, everything shut down. 501, everybody's, you know, head headed to the local, headed wherever. It was, it was a different and they were still productive. They were still doing great things, but there was a better there was a better balance. Um, Mr. Deeds goes to town, kind of gave us the idea of you know life in the suburbs and the house, and we all kind of look for that. And everybody's got to find their own measure of happiness. But it's interesting when you, like you say, when you go somewhere else and you look and you're like, people people search for paradise, and it's it's that. In, in someone's idea of paradise, I have a friend whose idea of paradise, if he could work 24 hours, 895 days a year, he would. I mean, it's just that he, he loves what he does. He doesn't see anything else. Um, and then I have other friends who it's, you know, 501, we're done, man. We're, we're moving on. You have to find that level. And it isn't, it's personal to everybody. And, and, and it's, it'll be an interesting perspective to see, but again, that book is part of the cooperative and, and the pro proceeds from that, I will, will go towards mindful diabetes and, and the continued research. It's, it's great that you're able to find a, a group that can share at least, they don't have to share every idea directly, but can share a greater concept that they can they can do work and and see and see their work go into something else and hopefully mushroom and trigger into something even greater that, that that's a rare thing to find that and it's interesting because everybody everybody has an ego and you can't you can't get past that every some people have a super id you know whatever but you 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 found a group that you're a part of and that part of that group is part of something larger and, and looking to find answers, to find at least a glimmer of hope or a clue to, to a situation where early on I've said, and I believe that very few of us won't be touched by it. And if you are never touched by diabetes, loss of cognitive ability, Alzheimer's, if you're never touched by that, then you are... You're, you're one of those that are truly blessed and you should be kissing the ground every single day. Um, for the majority of people, we are going to encounter this. The fact that, you know, you know, you're, you, you took this on for a personal reason, you took it on as a passion. That's a great thing. And, you know, you should be, you should be proud of whatever accomplishments you're going to make because this is just the beginning. This is the first step in a journey. And I think staying true to yourself is hard. Being a writer is hard. Being a researcher is hard. And then running herd over a bunch of other people in a cooperative is like herding cats because everybody's got, you know, 
but you're you're all seeming to be making it work. Um, the book, I'm going to go back here. You can pre-order it now. And if you go to Amazon or Barnes Noble, you can find it very easily. You can scan this. You can find it. Um, I'm assuming you're going to start doing some book signings and maybe do some more readings because, you know, you've got to get out there and people have to put a face to this man in the ball cap. Um, yeah. it, was, it was a good read. Um, it, it was interesting. There were parts of it that you kind of cringed a little, but, you know, life is meant to be a little uncomfortable. Um, there's a greater good in all of that, and that goes back to mindful diabetes. And, again, you can scan, scan here as well and learn a little bit more. What is that you want to leave everybody with? What, what is it that you want them to know? Pretty much at the end of the day, all I really want them to know is that their purchase, if they choose to do so, goes towards just something bigger than me, myself, you. What your purchase goes towards, it's first, it's understanding that there is a big connection between type 2 and type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's disease. First, it's accepting that. Second, it's accepting that and knowing that it's a very, very understudied region. It's not heavily invested in in pharmacy because there's more, I, I hate to say this, but there's more money in treating than curing and mitigating. So it's not necessarily something that's heavily investigated, but we want to change that. And so we want to be able to take funding that we receive and give it back to the scientists that are investigating that insulin connection in the brain using various avenues, whether they're investigating it in a dish, whether they're looking at it from a social aspect, there's so many avenues to investigate that are not being explored right now. And so why I started this movement in this nonprofit on top of in the memory of my wonderful grandmother, it's because as a scientist, I understood that the research that researchers are doing at these higher level institutions isn't necessarily the research that they set out to do, but it's the research that was funded. And so in order to get the research done that you want to see done, I realized you have to become the funder then you get to choose the projects. And so I want to be able to make guided decisions alongside my fellow board at Mindful Diabetes Incorporated about which projects should be explored, which proposals we receive best fit our mission. That way, the researchers can take our funds and change the world. Well, it, it all starts with a small step, and sometimes it just starts with the first word on a page. And I am I am very proud of the man that you've become. I still remember the cute little boy, but you know the man the man is you know a product of many things, and you've taken a step towards a greater good, and you should be proud of that. I know your mom because she can't stop talking about you, but more importantly, you know you're on the right path to doing something great. And I thank you first. 
talking to us about your book, talking to us about your mission, talking about projects. I fully expect when the next book to come out, I will get some kind of an email and we'll have to figure this out. You know, you know, not play cat. We'll, we'll get this figured out. Um, I, I encourage you, anybody who's out here now, this is the book, the man in the ball cap. You can pre-order it now and you can be, you'll be able to pick it up in Barnes and Noble after the 16th. But if you order it now, you'll, you'll have a copy waiting for you. The proceeds are all going to something bigger than both of us. And I think that there's something to be said for a group of people who are relatively young with a whole life ahead of them to think beyond themselves. And I really commend you all for that. And, Joseph, thank you. I can't. I still want to call you Joey, but I won't. Um, thank you so much for for being a part of of this show and to give us a better insight into you, your book, and your mission. No, thank you for having me. And again, anytime you want to talk, whether it's on your show or just a phone call, I'd love to yeah. chat with you. I'm not good with phone calls. I'm good with this because I like to see things, but I. I, I think sometimes the biggest thing is what I love about my this particular aspect of my show is I'm hoping it's going to start a dialogue between two other people. It'll be four other people. And as I've said before, I am a great, great believer in the logarithmic increase because four suddenly becomes 64 and 64 becomes, you know, it just keeps going. And 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 that's how that's how a mission grows. That's how an idea is is promulgated and that's how funding is achieved for something like this it doesn't happen if you're if you write this book and you do this thing and nobody knows about it and people have to know so it's now a time for all of us to you know shout a little bit and jump up and down and scream and you know take these little steps it's just it, when you have a groundswell, great things can happen. And this is an opportunity to get involved in a groundswell. And it doesn't, it's not going to hurt you. It's a book. It's a book that can lead to something better. And again, I'm very proud of the man you are. I'm, I'm very proud that you've moved forward with a creative life as well as a scientific life. And you've done a great thing. And I wish you great success much success and i and i think i think you're on a path to finding something great so on that note because your mom's going to get jealous um, i'm going to say last parting words to anybody i love picking on her mother his mother is my younger sister and i'm telling you since these children were born <laughs> she's been her greatest cheerleader and so is your dad but your mom's more much more vocal <laughs> and, and, and your mom is going to make sure everybody knows and i'm oh, the yeah. small we're going to make this small part to make more people know again parting words what do you want everybody to know other than you know this is your book pretty much one of the last things you guys just need to know is hashtag join the camino that's it that's the that's the hashtag that's the the connection joining the camino what that means is you're joining a movement the camino in spain it's a very very important part of their society so please join it with us and let's see where the story takes us 
A story is going to take us to great places. And I thank you again. This has been Colliding Worlds. This is Angela Valencia Romeo. This is Joseph Michael. He's got a book out there for you. Again, I'm going to play it one more time. The Man in the Ball Cap. Proceeds. Go to Mindful Diabetes, Inc. And you can pre-purchase this book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Or if you purchase after the 16th, you can actually go to the store and buy it and walk out with the book. Um, you've got you've got many options we've got many options and thank you again and i'm want to see the rest of this crew again this is colliding worlds this is angela valenti romeo and just see what we come up with you next week have a great one thank you all for joining us